So today we're in the book of Ephesians, and uh, it's, a, it's a really famous passage, uh, and I think especially verses 8 and 9, you know, for by grace you've been saved through faith, it's not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of words that no one may boast. I, I believe that may have been a Bible verse memorized by many of you, uh, if you were, grew up in the church. Uh, I remember memorizing that specific passage many times. I think I memorized it in the NIV, in the New King James Version, in the ESV, and, and it's just a very well-known passage. I actually remember one time, maybe around 10 years ago or so, I was on a, uh, I think I was on a, on a mission trip, and I saw a person with a shirt that said swag. And I don't know if you guys remember that term. It's probably outdated now, but 10 plus years ago, I think it was a term that a lot of people used. So I was interested to see what the shirt was saying, because I saw these little letters underneath it, and it says swag in big letters, and underneath it it said, saved with amazing grace. And I liked it. And I remember thinking, oh man, maybe if I do another youth retreat, that would be like our theme, right? The swag. But, you know, it's, you put it on a t-shirt, right? a Christian t-shirt, because it's, it's known, it's famous, and it's famous for a reason, because this passage really is a passage that really shows us how messed up we are, how sinful we are, how needy, we are, and it's a passage that shows us how amazing God is, how gracious, merciful, loving, awesome he is, and how blessed we are to be able to be able to call God Father, to be able to call Jesus our Savior. And it's a passage about mercy, it's a passage about grace, and it is truly an awesome passage. But today, as you look at this passage, I want to look at it from kind of maybe a different angle than maybe you've heard it before, or just to kind of approach it just a little differently. I want to talk about this thing called identity. Um, you know, I'm sure you've heard that word many times. And I want to think about what is our identity, right? I think the title of the sermon should be, is to say, who am I? And, and the question is, who am I? Right, when you, I don't know if you think about things like that, you know, when you wake up in the morning or as you go to work or as you go to school or as you just, you know, eat with your family or, you know, play sports or whatever it is we're doing. I don't know if we typically ask questions like that. Who am I? What makes me me? What is my identity? And I wanted to talk a little bit about just the worldview of, I guess, you know, shortly what my identity might be and I guess a biblical perspective on what my identity is. Um, and so to kind of to get into that, let me just start with this. You know, how do you even define identity? And I think one, one pastor said it this way. I, I like it. He, says, he called it a sense of self and a sense of worth, right? So, so identity is a stable self-understanding of who I am. Right? There's got to be a core. There's got to be a core inside of me of how I identify myself through all the, just the hats I might wear, the roles that I have, the situations that I am in. And so at my core, who am I? What is it that identifies me as me in every situation? So a sense of self, a stable self-understanding who I am, but also identity would be also with that, whether I feel good about it, a sense of worth. Well, what makes me feel significant, right? What makes me confident of my value of who I am, right? So a sense of self, a sense of worth, right? What is my identity? It's, 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 it's really a definition of who am I, 
right? How do I see myself? How do I view myself, my sense of self, and connect it with that, my sense of worth? And you know, obviously identity is important because it helps define me. It answers that question of who I am, but also because it guides the rest of my life. How should I behave? How should I live in the world? Where do I fit in in the world? What is my purpose in life? How do I deal with other people? How do I deal with relationships? My identity is, is important. And so then where do I get that sense of identity? And so what I wanted to do today was I wanted to kind of give you maybe a couple of ways we may think about identity, maybe from more of a, just a world's view, and then I wanted to go into a, maybe a more biblical view of that. But if you think about it traditionally, right, if you think about traditional cultures, really, where does my identity come from? It, it came from my role, right? The role that I was in determined who I was, right? So, you know, if you think about traditional cultures, you know, it's all about family, it's all about community. It's not really about me, per se. It's about where I fit in into the whole. And so my identity then will come from my role in the family, my role in my clan, right? my role in my community. Right? It's, it's the role that has been assigned to me so that my self-worth, my self-esteem would really depend on how I fulfill that role. So if you ask someone in a traditional culture, and you know, I would argue even today, maybe not so much in the West, but in other parts of the world, maybe it's more like this. If you ask somebody, who are you? What makes you you? Person might say, well, I'm a father, right? Because that's my role, right? I'm a son. And so then my life is about being a good father, right? Being a good son. How do I do that, right? And, and how do I become a good husband? How do I become a good wife? Right? How do I become a good son or daughter? How do I become a good, and whatever role that I play, right? So you know, your role would define who you were, obviously in your family, but also in your community, right? If you're a king, then you're a king, right? If you are a servant, then you are a servant, you know? And so I think about, you know, thinking of an example of that, I think of you know, a very famous movie, Lion King, right? I'm sure we've all seen it at some point or another, either the anim animated version or just the newer version, or maybe you saw it on Broadway. But if you remember that story, which I think we all know, we have Simba who runs away from home, right? He kind of abdicates his responsibility, and he runs away, and he does the whole Hakuna Matata thing, right? And, you know, I'm going to be worry-free, I'm going to do whatever I want, and then what happens? Right, one night, his, his dead father, Ramufasa, appears to him, and he pretty much challenges him. And he says, you, you're not being who you are because you are a king, right? That's your role. That's who you're supposed to be. And you're not living it out. You're doing this Hakuna Matata thing, right? You're just doing whatever you want to do, but that's not who you are. So, again, it's kind of a traditional approach, right? You are a king, so go act like one. Go be one. Be faithful to your role. And so your identity, traditionally, would be more of what is my role in my family? What is my role in my community? But then if you think about modern times, I think it's actually changed in many ways where my identity is more I am my desires, right? My identity happens when I assert my desires, right? I'm really ultimately whatever I want to be, 
right? I have to know who I am inside of me. I know my, my feelings, my dreams, my desire. I want to figure those things out. I want to pursue those things, and I become myself as I follow my dreams, as I follow my desires, right? It's not about other people telling me what to do, right? I, I don't want people telling me what to do. I don't want to be suffocated by my family and my community or others telling me you have to have this role and you have to live it out. I want to, you know, we use those words, I want to find myself, right? I want to find what makes me tick. I want to find my deepest thoughts, my feelings, my desires. I want to pursue those things and I want to live it. And so, you know, example of that, a couple examples that I have in my head. One was, um, there's this anime called Naruto. I don't know if you, you know, watched that when you were growing up or whatnot. I remember when I was a, a youth, youth pastor, I was Abe youth pastor, actually. These students of mine came to me and they said to me, you know, I was a Chondo Sanin back then. They used to call me Chondo. They used to Chondo, you have to watch this show because you're not going to understand who we are unless you watch the show called Naruto. And so I told them I think it's dumb, but they insisted. So I watched some of it, and you know, I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would. But one thing I remember about that show, I don't remember much, but one thing I remember was this, this little kid who everybody says negative things about, he's all about, I'm gonna be Hokage, right? I'm gonna be the chief, I'm gonna be the top person. This is a dream, and he wants to achieve it. Right? And that's kind of a more modern approach, right? I want my dream. I know what, what my feelings are. I want to pursue it. I want to make it happen, whether by hard work. by So I am either what I acquire, right? I want to acquire different things. I'm either my hard work that gets, lets me achieve different things, right? Or just, it's just a matter of I want to find my, what people would call my authentic self, right? I want to know who I am, my deepest feelings, my deepest desires, and I want to go for it. Right? That's why if you look at, again, a movie like, like Frozen, right? another Disney movie, right? You know, it's that song, catch a song, let it go. But that song, it's going in that direction as well. Right? You don't want other people pigeonholing me. When I let it go, I'm going to find who I am. I'm going to make my own dreams come true. Right? I want to make my identity by asserting my dreams, my feelings, my desires. And so I think a lot of times what we do is we, we let the world around us determine who we are. Right? We, we, maybe we come from a more traditional culture, and so we let our roles define us. And I think, you know, I think most of us here in this room come from an Asian background, and I think definitely if you're in an Asian background, that's strong, right, to play that role. You know, if you're a son, if you're a daughter, you have to play a certain role, and, that's, and you feel that pressure, right? If you're a parent, you have to play a certain role, and you feel, again, that kind of pressure, right? I remember growing up, I would always hear, I'm the, uh, I mean, we went with two kids in my family, but I happen to be the oldest, and I'm the only son. So people would always be like, you know, you're, you're the oldest son. I'm like, I'm the only son, right? But you're the oldest son, so you have this role to play, and people remind you of that. And so we have that traditional thing going on inside of, but also there's a part of us right, that says, you know what, I have these feelings, I have these dreams, I have these desires, and I want to make it happen, and I want to follow these things. And so we try to make our identity, our sense of self, our sense of worth, maybe go back and forth between things like that. But here's the question. Am I going to let people and the culture 
and the world determine who I am, or am I going to let God determine who I am? When I think about my sense of self, who am I, and my sense of worth, right, what makes me significant and valuable, am I going to be played by the, the rules that the culture gives me? Or am I going to say, God, direct me with your word? But I think constantly we are letting other people and we're letting the culture at large determine who we are. And so I want to really challenge us today. We, we don't want the world, we don't want others determining our identity. We want the word of God. We want God himself. So, so I want to look at biblical identity. And, you know, there's, you can look at it differently, but I want to look at it from Ephesians 2. And there's really three main things I wanted to say today about that. It's who we were, first. Secondly, what God did for us. And lastly, who we are now in Christ. Right? So who we were, where, where we came from, right? where we come from, what God did for us, and who we are now, who we are in Christ. And so the first thing really is who we were. And if you look at verses one through three in our passage, it's, it's, it's sad, actually, who we were. And I think really, if you think about our identity, biblically speaking, our identity is far worse. Our identity is far worse than we can imagine. And yet, as we keep going, we realize our identity is far better than we could even hope for, right? But we have the far worse here. If you look at verse 1, it says here, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So he starts by saying you're dead. Now, that's actually really important, right? Dead versus dying or dead versus sick. If a person is sick, there's hope, right? If a person is dying even, if they're in the verge of death, there is still hope. You want to help that person. But once a person is dead, then you say it's over, right? You, 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 put, your, you put your arms up. You know, I remember one time in college, I went to Binghamton. See, a lot of the people in the church went to Binghamton. That was actually, I remember just seeing people I knew at school even. But I remember those of you who were there, they used to, they used to call it the brain, right? So I remember running around campus. And uh, when my roommate and I, we were running together. He happened to be like, six foot tall. I'm much shorter, so I felt like it was unfair. But he was way ahead of me, and I was trying to keep up. And then I saw him stop. And so I was like, oh, he must be getting tired. So I caught up to him, and I realized he was just kind of staring at the street. And it was a really sad thing. You know, um, there was this little squirrel, and I guess it had gotten run over by a car. And so he was like crawling to, like, the, the, to the side of the street. And it's like the back of it, you could tell it was gone. And so I was like, you know, like, I'm not a squirrel over anything, but I was really sad just seeing this picture. And then it just stopped. And so I guess it died. So I was like really like sad. So I looked at my roommate and I said, we should do something. We should call somebody. And he looked at me and he said, but it's dead. So what can you possibly do? And I remember at that moment thinking, you're right. And again, just being really sad, even though it's, you know, it's an animal, but like something about it really just affected me at that moment. And the thing is, when something is dead, right, you, you say you have no hope. You just kind of, that's it. And the Bible starts in this passage by saying you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So what it's reminding us of is that we were people with no 
hope. Obviously, it's not talking about physical death here. It's not talking about spiritual death. But we were spiritually alienated from God. We had no relationship, no communion with God. We were dead spiritually in our trespasses and sins, and we had no hope. We had no way of getting out of our predicament. We had no way of saving ourselves. We had no way of getting back to God because we were dead, no hope. That's how he starts. But then if you look at the passage, he continues by saying, you're following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. What is it saying? Not only were you dead with no hope, with no relationship with God, spiritually apart, alienated from God, but you were enslaved to sin. You were disobedient. So what it's really saying is, who are you or who were you before you met Christ? You had no hope. You were dead. No relationship with God. No desire for God. Completely cut off from God. And you were disobedient to God. You were enslaved to sin. You walked in darkness. But then it keeps going and it says in verse 3, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what is it saying? It's saying you were dead, you were disobedient, enslaved to sin, you walked in darkness, and yet, that's not it, you were doomed. You were children of wrath. Our God is holy, and because we are sinful, we had no hope. And so God had to obviously pour his wrath upon us, but we had no hope. We were condemned to eternity in hell, to death. And so really, but the passage, it's, it's, it's a really sad depiction. Before Christ, who were you? You were dead, you were disobedient, you were enslaved to sin, and you were children of wrath, condemned to eternal damnation. I mean, that's really what we're looking at in this passage. Again, we are worse off than we could ever imagine that we will be. But as we look at this negative picture, Paul's doing that for a reason. Because verse 4 is amazing, but you need to set the verse 4 up with verses 1 through 3, showing us how awful our lives look like. And then verse 4 Right? We're now going into what God did. Right? So we just spent a little time talking about who we were, and now what does God do? Verse 4, but God. And by the way, anytime you see like a but like that, that's a very important word. Because the setup in verse 1 to 3, showing how terrible everything was, in verse 4 he's saying, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's amazing. What is he saying? He's saying, look, you had no hope. You were dead. You were disobedient. You were sinful. You were walking in darkness. You were children of wrath, condemned to eternal death and condemnation and hell. You, there's nothing going for you but God. God came into your life. God changed everything. You were nasty and sinful to the core. <clears throat> right? There was no, no good in you, and yet what does God do? He comes into your life. 
because of his mercy, because of his love, even though you were dead, even though you had no hope, he makes you alive in Christ by grace. Sorry, by grace you have been saved. That's an ama amazing thing. When I actually look at this passage, I think of, <clears throat> I know I've given a lot of Disney analogies, I think of Beauty and the Beast. We're the beast. We're ugly, we're sinful, and who is God? God is beauty. Beauty comes into our lives and changes our lives. God is rich in mercy, his soul full of love, and instead of giving us what we deserve, that's what verses one through three was all about, that set that out. Instead of getting what we deserve, we get his mercy, we get his grace, we get his love, and now instead of eternal condemnation, instead of hell, what is he saying? We're alive together with Christ, we're raised up with him, we are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, verse 7 says, in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Just think about that for a second. Who we were, dead, sinful, disobedient, children of wrath, what does God do? He completely transforms our lives. But again, how does he do that? How does that happen? Where does that grace come from? And obviously, hopefully we know this. The Father sends his Son, his one and only Son, into the world. Christ lives the perfect life and he goes to the cross. That's where we need to go, right? That's where we need to suffer our eternal damnation, our hell. What does Jesus do? He goes to the cross and he takes our place. He suffers the hell that we deserve. He is the one who is forsaken by his own father where he says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He goes through what we should have gone through so that we, could be saved in him, so that we could be forgiven, we could have eternal life, that we could have the immeasurable riches like this passage is talking about. So who we were obviously is sad, but now who we are in Christ, it's amazing. Why? Because of what God has done for us. But the passage continues. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So who we were, what God did, but who we are now. And I remember in seminary, uh, one of my favorite professors, he said this. He said, too many people read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and they don't read verse 10. And he said, you really shouldn't read verses 8 and 9 
without reading verse 10, because those, those three verses, they come together, right? Too often, we think about how, yes, by grace I've been saved through faith. It's not what I did, right? So no one may boast, but then, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So who am I now? Who we were, what God did, who am I now? I am a sinner, obviously, saved by grace, amen to that, who is God's workmanship. That word here, workmanship, uh, really in the Greek, it means a work of art. And so if you think about that for a second, who am I? I am a sinner, saved by grace, who is now God's masterpiece. Think about that. Right? I am a sinner. I'm saved by grace. It's not my doing, right? I didn't achieve it. I didn't somehow live a good enough life to get salvation. I didn't somehow, you know, I wasn't smart enough or good looking enough or I did enough good things for somehow for me to attain. No, no, no. It is, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Grace means unmerited, undeserved favor. So it's all a gift from God. It's not my own doing. It's all what God did for me. And obviously we know that it was possible because of what Christ did for us on the cross. But now because of that, I am a sinner saved by grace who has become God's masterpiece, his work of art. I don't know if you've ever been to, you know, a museum and just checked out different sculptures and paintings and, you know, and it's, I don't consider myself the most cultured person in the world, but whenever I go to a museum and look at beautiful paintings, I'm, I'm in awe. It's, it's amazing. Everything looks so beautiful. Everything looks great. And then especially if I have an art student or somebody next to me explaining <laughs> what they were doing, I'm even more awe. Whoa, I can't believe, right? Or when you listen to beautiful music, Right? And it's, just, it's a beautiful thing to listen to. You're in awe of it. It's so great. It's a masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. We are his work of art. He took sinners like us, and he has transformed us into beautiful works of art. How, how is that possible? Because of what Christ has done for us. I mean, that's, I don't know if that, like, makes you, Go, whoa. If you really think about that for a second, it's whoa. You know, I think about so many people I've talked to in my life. Um, you know, when I used to be like a youth pastor and a college pastor and even with adults, as I talk to people, a lot of people that I talk to have father issues. And it's because a lot of their dads didn't say anything nice to them. Right? I would talk to somebody who would tell me something like, you know, when I was growing up, my dad would never tell me I love you, right? I think I'm the opposite. I tell my kids I love them all the time. I think I'm starting to wonder if it's gonna cheapen those words, right? Because I'm always telling them. But they tell me, my dad, I don't remember him ever saying I love you. I don't even remember, some of them tell me, I don't even remember my dad ever saying I'm proud of you, right? They were like, you know, I will bring home like a hundred, and he'd be like, mm, that was it. <laughs> and if it's like an A minus, he'd be like, well, what's that line? Like, where's that minus coming from, right? And they had issues. And, you know, some of these people I would talk to, their lives were actually transformed in a sense when their fathers finally told them how much they cared about them, right? When these 
you know, these dads finally said, I love you. I'm proud of you. And think about that. And that's just your earthly father. When your earthly father says to you, and if you haven't heard it, he says to you, I love you. I care about you. I'm proud of you. You are mine. It, it changes people, right? It frees people. People get excited. But our heavenly father says, you are my work of art. He says, you were sinful. You were dirty. You were condemned. But now, because of what my son, what Jesus has done for you, because of his work on the cross, you are now my masterpiece. And I think if we believe that, that identity is completely changed. We don't need self-esteem. We have God-esteem, right? We know who we are. I am a child of God. I am a sinner saved by grace who is now God's work of art. And it gives me a confidence. So then what do I want to do? I want to worship him. I want to praise him. I want to live my life for his glory. And then in verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's saying, who are you? You're a sinner saved by grace. You are God's work of art. But you were created in Christ to do what? To do good works. To glorify God, to love God, to love others, to bless others, and to serve and to be like Christ to others. But again, I'm not doing these good things because I want to attain something, because I want to get something. I'm not trying to achieve something. No. I think the gospel is very clear. It is because I have received. It is because I've been blessed. It is because I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I am now God's masterpiece. It's because of what Christ has done for me now. I want to live my life for the Lord. I want to do good works to bring him praise, to bring him glory. I want to love God, and I want to love neighbor. And that's my identity. That's my sense of self, my sense of worth, and that's what helps me to live my life for his glory. Let me close with just a little story about my childhood. I remember when I... um, I came to this country when I was like six, and I was living in St. Louis for a little bit. And I didn't really speak any English, um, and I had just gotten here. And I remember one day, a few of us were playing on the street, and, you know, a car came down the street. So what do you do when a car comes? You, you get off the street. But this little girl, one of the girls we were playing with, she was like three, I think, and she wouldn't get off the street. And so my six, seven-year-old self, I saw this, and it was very instinctual, as the car was coming, it was like out of a movie, right? The car's breaking. I don't know what got into me. I wasn't thinking. I ran to grab her to bring her to safety as the car was breaking. And so then this, this woman got out of the car, and she said a bunch of stuff to me in English. I couldn't understand what she said, but I understood one thing. She said, you're a hero. And I was like, yes, I am. Right? I was like, that, that made me feel good to hear that, right? I was like, yes, I did something special. And so then, you know, we go back, you know, to the house, and... All the other kids tell this little girl's dad what I did for her. And he goes, oh, you, you know, you're such a good kid. I'm like, yes, I am. I felt really good, right? Like, 
took a good day. I don't know why I did this, but I did it, and you know, everybody's you know, proud of me. And then something happened. This little girl, like three, four years old, I forget exactly how old she was, she was like following me everywhere I went, right? She would like, we had like little clementines. She was like bringing me a clementine. She just went, I, went, I was trying to go to the bathroom and she wanted to follow me. I was like, no, 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 you stay here, right? Like she just wanted to be around me. And it was because even though she was so little, I think somehow her little brain put it together that this guy saved my life or there's something nice for me. So she wanted to do something nice for me. She wanted to follow me around. And after a while, I found it annoying, but I got it. And really, why am I sharing this? Even a three, four-year-old understood that somebody did something nice for them. I think for us, I think sometimes we forget what God has done for us, to be honest. I think sometimes we forget how amazing the gospel is. But when we remember who we were, and then we remember what God has done for us, sending his own son to die for us. When we remember what Christ has done for us, not risking his life to save us, but literally dying and taking our place on the cross for us so that we could be sinners saved by grace, his grace. And when we remember that because of that, we are now God's work of art, then how can we not say, Lord, as you have loved me and blessed me, my identity is in Christ, and now I want to live my life doing good works for your glory, because it's all about you. And I hope and I pray that will be our hearts and our desires today. Let's pray.